I would say if you're an employer or you're a business manager, you better pay attention to those 20-somethings because even if you think they're lazy slackers, they're going to take over one day, like it or not, ready or not. Welcome to the Executive Leadership Podcast. On today's episode, we have the honor of having Dr. Tim Elmore on the podcast. Um, We are going to be talking about his book, A New Kind of Diversity, Making the Different Generations on Your Team a Competitive Advantage. So to tell you a little bit about Dr. Tim Elmore, uh, Dr. Tim Elmore, a passion for leadership development began in 1983 when he worked alongside and was mentored by the best-selling author, Dr. John Maxwell. Since then, he's emerged as an author, leadership expert, and keynote speaker who's trained more than 500,000 leaders in hundreds of organizations worldwide. He's also the founder and CEO of Growing Leaders, which is a nonprofit team that equips students and young professionals around the world to become life-giving leaders. Tim is the author of nine courses that unpack hundreds of timeless leadership principles using the power of single image. Um, so you are going to enjoy this awesome podcast and awesome opportunity that we had to chat with Dr. Tim Elmore. Um, a leadership guru in the space and uh, feel free to check out his book a new kind of diversity hope you enjoy this podcast episode tim thank you so much for joining us for uh, another podcast interview yeah you bet travis it's an honor to be with you so we're here today to talk about your not so new book it's been out for a while but a new kind of diversity uh tell us a little bit about this book you know we discussed it a few minutes ago why did you write it who is it for all the good all that good stuff Yeah. Well, it became uh, about something I was seeing for years, not months now, where you have multiple generations working together in a workplace and you see them sometimes colliding with each other, not collaborating all the time. So uh, we talk a lot about diversity in our day, right? All kinds of diversity, actually, ethnic, gender, income. But I think this is a new kind of diversity that I often call an elephant in the room. You know, we all know it's there, but we're not quite sure how to talk about it, you know, except to say kids today, kids today, you know? Mm. So we got to stop that. And we need to say, wait a minute, don't they bring something to us that is different? Yes. And that we need, of course, they have an intuition on where culture's going much faster than a 45 or 65 year old does. So I'm the book is really designed to be an encyclopedia on really galvanizing the different generations in a workplace. That's actually what I found when I started reading this book is is this is a book that you're going to go back and reference it. You're going to go back and use bits and pieces of it as you run into different challenges. You're going to, it's not a book you read and put it down. It's a book. It's a working, it's definitely a working book. So you write that the generation gap, which we first noticed in the 1960 has widened today, making collaboration synergies on a team more challenging than ever. Would you like to unpack some of those issues that you've, you've kind of done in your research? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm so old. I do remember when that term came around, the generation (laughs) gap. I think it was John Poppy and Life Magazine or whatever. And if you remember, it was the baby boomers that were new kids on the block. You know, we were the young whippersnappers back then. And the old folks said, ah, these kids, I don't understand them. Well, ironically, now the boomers are the old folks and looking at 20 somethings and going, I do not understand these kids. So um, my theory on why the generation gap has gotten even wider than it was back then is because the screens in our life have gone from public to private. Think about it. 
Back in the day, 40, 50, 60 years ago, we had one screen in our house, right? It was a television. And in my house, the whole family gathered around and watched, you know, Dick Van Dyke or I Love Lucy or Mary Tyler Moore Show or something like that. And we'd laugh together, talk about it together, but we were together. Today, you fast forward, we've got this single screen in our hand now. It's a smartphone. And we're in silos. I mean, these are echo chambers where teenagers with teenagers and not so much with adults. In fact, they want to avoid the adults. So I'm not an old dinosaur here complaining about that. I'm just saying the only way we're going to build bridges instead of walls is, is break these silos down and say, I have something you need and I know you got something I need. So instead of saying, oh, those boomers are dinosaurs or all those millennials are narcissistic, you know, or all those Gen Z kids are fragile snowflakes, you know, we need to start saying, wait a minute, they've got a hacker mindset and an entrepreneurial spirit. Those teenagers do or those 20 somethings do. Let's leverage that for uh, for the sake of this workplace. And when we do that, I'm seeing companies get it right. In fact, we're trying to get it right at Growing Leaders. It's so beautiful. Because I learned from, uh, I've got a team member, Cam, named Cam, and uh, he's 22, just out of Michigan, University of Michigan. Man, I learn from that guy every time I sit down with him. But I have to go in with a different mindset. You know, I'm not only the teacher, I'm the learner as well. So I'll stop there. You know, one of the things I, I loved when you talked about in that, in that, that kind of that part of the chapter was you talked about how, uh, you know, growing up, you learn from your parents. Yeah, right. You learn those things. And nowadays, you you know, as you said, you are you can get most of your questions answered from Google or from Chat yeah. GBT now. So yeah. the the role of a parent even has shifted so much yeah. from even 10, 15 years ago. It's so it's so accurate. It's so true. It's so many yeah. things to think about. So yeah. what are some key questions leaders need to ask to begin closing that generational gap? Well, um, I want to play off what you just said. I think one of the questions is, what can I learn from them? Um, I believe that kids no longer need adults for information. In fact, I don't just believe that. that's true. They don't need adults for information. Yeah. I heard a high school senior say, my teachers are obsolete. Wow. I mean, <laughs> when have we ever said that? But so they don't need us for information. They need us for interpretation. Uh, so it's, let me help ma- help you make sense of all that you know. I realize you've consumed 21 YouTube videos. Now let me have, help me give you context to the content. Uh, mm-hmm. And that indeed is the need of the hour. So I think there's some conversations we do need to have. Um, I think we need to, um, first of all, I think we need to think chess, not checkers. I talk about this in the book. So when you play checkers, all your pieces look alike. They all move alike. So you treat them all alike. When I play chess, it's on the same game board, but it's a very, very different game. Uh, And I have to know what a knight is and what a knight does, what a queen, bishop, rook, pawn. Uh, I think we need to take our team members and say, I've got a knight and a queen and a, and a, a bishop, and they're all different. And I've got to connect with them differently. I know they move differently. In fact, you know what? Let me jump off track here. One of the um, analogies I use in the book that I think helps me even as the writer of the book, mm-hmm. you know, when we hop on a plane and we fly to some far off country, we get off that plane and we're expecting to work harder to connect with somebody there in China or Russia or mm-hmm. France, because we know they have different customs here. They speak a different language here. They have different values here. Bingo. I think when I talk to a Gen Z member, different language, different customs, different values. 
So I'm determined to say, I want to be ready to do the work that I would do in China with my 22-year-old team member here or my 32-year-old. I've got Andrew, who's 30 years younger than me, Cam, who's 40 years younger than me. I benefit if I am ready to do the work in that relationship rather than get lazy socially and say, uh, whatever, and we just text each other. So that's what I'm pushing for, uh, these kinds of exercises in the book to to uh, to put bridges up instead of walls. Yeah, Tim, one of the things that I saw myself doing, especially now being in such a, I would say, gener generational diverse workforce is that you often have these biases that, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Someone younger yeah. than me, am I, you know, in the Gen Z, they don't know what they're talking about. I know it all. Or sometimes you hear that from the boomers. Oh, I know it all. These techies don't know anything. But I think once you shift that mindset and really start to understand every generation or any every generation that you work with, I've learned so much from those from yeah. the Generation Z. And I've learned even more from the boomers that have done it all. And yeah. Yeah. So what, what uh, going on to the next question, what are some of the most common things that really create that discord between generations in the workplace? It's a great question. Uh, one, I think, is ego. When I go in assuming I know and they don't. Uh, another one, as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're socially lazy. We, we talk at the water cooler about them instead of talking to them. But the biggest one that I talk about in the book is stereotypes. We stereotype each other so rapidly. We never like to be stereotyped, right? But we will do that to other people. So my definition of a stereotype is it's a mental shortcut because I don't want to do the work to really go deeper and find out who they are. So um, as cliche as this sounds, I've got to go deeper. But I want to play, if you don't mind, I want to play off of something you just brought up. Um, Margaret Mead was arguably the most famous anthropologist of the 20th century. And before she passed away in the 70s, she was prophetic about what she saw coming. Listen to what she said. She said, human history is broken up into three parts. And she called them the prefigurative era, the co-figurative era, and the post-figurative era. And here's what she meant. So, uh, millenniums ago, thousands of years ago, everybody grew up in a uh, prefigurative era. And what she meant by that is the younger generation growing up learned everything from the adults who had pre-figured it out, meaning the adults are going to download all the information we already know. Nothing's changing here. You will perpetuate the traditions and the customs of mom and dad. In fact, mom and dad will pick your marriage partner. Remember these days? You know, and and if you for a job, you, you, if you're a son, you did what your dad did. If you're a daughter, you did what your mom did, and you just perpetuated. As we moved into the industrial revolution and even earlier the Enlightenment, we began to move into a different period of human history. It was the co-figurative era. Now that reason became king. We were, we were able to use logic and reason, and we made choices together, young and old. In fact, our country was born during this period. What did we say in the early days? We hold these truths to be self-evident, right? Yeah. This is reasonable. We wouldn't have been able to say that hundreds of years earlier than that, but it was a new day. Margaret Mead said, even 50 years ago, she said, I see us now moving into a new day. Or, and she called it the post-figurative era, where the young are going to learn and understand things more quickly than the old. And I'm seeing this today with artificial intelligence and how quickly they adapt. You mentioned chat GPT or whatever. So this is kind of cheesy here, but even now, if something goes wrong with my iPhone, I give it to my son. 
and he fixes it in five minutes. And I go, how did you know to do that? And he'll say, how did you not know? You know, that's the conversations I have. So um, I don't know, listeners, what you're thinking right now, but I would say if you're an employer or you're a business manager, you better pay attention to those 20-somethings because even if you think they're lazy slackers, they're going to take over one day, like it or not, ready or not. And they are the intuitive ones about where the future's going. And I think they need our timeless insights, but we need their timely intuition. You see those two terms? Timeless insights from the older, like you mentioned, Cameron, but then they've got intuition. They see, my son and daughter see where the world is going quicker than I do now. So what if I could embrace that and say, oh my gosh, this is fun. This is fun. I'll take all the wisdom I got, but then I'm going to need to help them figure, you know, help me figure out where's, where we're going here. Maybe we create goods and services that are still relevant 25 years from now because I stopped being the only teacher in the room. I'm curious, do you think that's why there is often so much conflict amongst the generations is because there is no mutual uh, agreement amongst the, you know, you you know things I don't know and I know things you don't know. Is is that why there's such a conflict is that there that that's not been a that's not a figured out thing in most cases? Yeah, it's not a drawn conclusion. Yeah, I don't think it's the only reason, but I do think it's a big one. And again, this is just my opinion. But as we work with companies and universities and so forth, both sides, old and young, feel like they've got a bit of a handle on what reality is or what truth is. And then we just kind of dismiss the other. So there's four, at least four generations working together right now, sometimes five. The baby boomers and the Xers would be the two older generations. And then the millennials and the Gen Zers would be the two younger generations. And I actually believe that the older two uh, experience crystallized intelligence. This is great research uh, that is 50 years old from a British research uh, researcher named Raymond Cattell. He says, if you're over 40, your brain is mostly experiencing crystallized intelligence, which is all about analyzing and summarizing. Okay, so you can summarize better. When you're younger to generate, you know, millennials and Gen Zer, you experience fluid intelligence, which is all about adapting and innovating. Hmm. So think about this. We all have both, but you're mostly fluid intelligence, adapting, innovating. You're mostly crystallized when you're older, summarizing, analyzing. This is why older professors often get really good marks in university. They're so good at just bottom lining. Here's what you got to know, you know? What if we could get crystallized and fluid together and we stay on the right curve all the way through our careers? I shift when I'm my age and I say, oh my gosh, I am welcoming those new team members in with open arms because I care about this organization and I care about the future and they are bringing the future with them. So I know I keep going back to the same thing, but I'm trying to talk all the listeners in wherever you fall on that spectrum. Mm. You need the others. And we dare not get so egocentric as to think we've got a handle on all the truth that we need and we miss out on so much. Well, can I can I give you a quick story? I know I'm waxing eloquent here. Absolutely. <laughs> in the book, you might remember the story of Tony. So Tony in his senior year of college worked for a major paint store, major retail brand, paint store. And if you remember, he's, he got on TikTok during his senior year of college. Mm-hmm. And then he started posting videos of himself on TikTok, mixing the paints and coming up with really cool colors and so forth. Well, Tony got 1.8 million followers on TikTok, taking, picture, taking pictures of himself mixing the paint. 
And then when he got 37 million views, he thought, I think I got something here. We could monetize this. So he put a slide deck together and asked to meet with the executives of this paint brand. And he said, I think I've got an idea that we can use for marketing. Well, mm -hmm. if you remember, true story, Tony didn't get one person interested in listening to him. He didn't get one set of eyeballs to look at a slide deck. Tony did get something he did not expect from them. He got fired. Mm -hmm. Yep. The manager thought he was probably stealing the paint. You know, kids today, stealing the paint, probably distracting to all the customers and probably doing this on company time. They were thinking the worst instead of believing the best. Well, Tony gets fired, moves down to Florida, now has over 2 million followers, started his own paint store. So I would say, while there may be many things I don't understand about this story, there's one thing I do understand. They missed out on a chance to reach out to a million and a half people while he was still with them. And they blew their chance because they thought he didn't know what I know. Yeah. That's a, that's a powerful example of, of how working through these issues and why it's so necessary is you're, you're leaving so much potential on the table by just yeah. not being willing to look at these things. And it really segues into this, this idea that you introduce in the book. That's what does it mean to be flexible without giving in and how do how do leaders need to develop maturity in that area yeah this was such a good chapter for me to write i was learning as i wrote as i wrote <laughs> because we all know there's certain things like our core values that we we can't be flexible on right if you come in you got to know who we are this is our mission this is our core values this is the product we sell so you know if you don't like it can i show you the door but I think we need to be flexible on so many other things. And we put too many things in the stubborn part and not enough things in the open-minded part. So um, you may or may not know this, but um, I teamed up the, with the Maxwell folks and did a book a year earlier called The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership. Mm -hmm. and one of the paradoxes of great leaders is they are stubborn and open-minded. That is the most difficult paradox to balance. Like, like, where do I where do I be stubborn? Where do I be open-minded? So here's my short answer. It probably deserves an hour. My short answer is know your core and be stubborn about the core. Be flexible on everything else. So when I think about Truett Cathy, my case study in that particular chapter, the founder mm -hmm. of Chick-fil-A, he was called at Chick-fil-A the most stubborn man they knew and the most open-minded man they knew. Isn't that cool? Mm -hmm. But the reason is he was so sure about the handful of things, not a thousand, handful of things he was stubborn about, but he was so open to listening to the people in their 30s and 20s. Even when he was 92, he was starting a new restaurant, listening to the younger whippersnappers and staying very fresh and relevant. I'm praying that's what I do when I'm 92 years old. I want to be vertical and still doing stuff like that because I got some young people that I'm pouring into and they're pouring into me. Yeah, that's that's really my take on that chapter. So one more quick item in that chapter, I do talk about, you know, we have different preferences, we have different demands, we have different expectations. Every generation coming in onboards a little differently to a company because of the time they grew up. So not only where we were born affects who we become, when we were born affects who we become. Mm. So Gen Z comes in with a lot of agency. You know, they 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 a little overconfident sometimes because they had this their whole life, you know. <laughs> so um they come in with high agency, but they also come in often with high anxiety. 
mental health issues are huge. So I need to know, boy, that's an oxymoronic thing. I got to, I got to balance. They may ask for the world and say, I want PTO on day two, you know, and you're going, what? Uh, but if we'll put the arm around the shoulder and we'll guide them relationally through the journey, I really think most of them are going to add great value. We just got to be patient uh, on the journey. Yeah, I think oftentimes that's where people get stuck from what I've seen and through my experience, and even I've done this too, is when um, I think that hesitation for change and being open to new ideas, especially yeah. when you're so used to doing something or process or something a certain yes. way, you know, you've, you're comfortable with it. And when, you know, you have a 20 year old or 19 year old saying, oh, you can do it just with the same yeah. thing that yes. half an hour in a yes. couple of minutes, two buttons or something like that. Um, so there's that for change. Yeah. Well, um, it's corporate um, consultants call that the normalization of defects. So when you've been around as long as I have four plus decades at work, you do get used to a certain way of doing things and you even miss the better way. You normalize a defect. Like a few years ago, we had a very, I'll just be honest here. We had a very antiquated way of invoicing. It was not bad. It was just very antiquated. You know, new technology had come out and all kinds of other things. But we just kept doing what we'd always done. Mm. You know, we normalized the defect. Well, we had some new team members come in. They go, you know, we could do this this way. Oh, my OMG. You know, what are we doing here? So um, we all do this. Um, in fact, in our personal lives, the normalization of defects looks like this. Something goes a little bit wrong with your car. The door handle doesn't quite work right. But instead of making it better, you go when you have passengers with you. Oh, you have to jiggle the handle a little bit. And then, you know, and we put up with that. You know, we just, okay, whatever. Rather than saying, wait a minute, I am putting up with something that's average when it could be excellent. And I need to be listening to these new voices who are less than one year old at the company. And they can see all the idiotic things we're doing. But I got to be listening. I've got to be listening. So one quick action step for your listeners here. I'm now following a little um, acronym for myself called a leg. So you know how we have that phrase, this is a leg you got to stand on. So mm -hmm. it's A-L-E-G. I need to start with asking, not telling someone what to do. I want to ask questions. When I ask questions of another team member, they feel important. The letter L is listen, listen well. When I listen, they feel heard. And I'm telling you, every G Gen Z member wants to feel heard. The letter E is empathize. So when I listen, they feel heard. When I empathize, they feel understood. It's amazing. And then the letter G is guide. Now I've earned my right to guide them. And I probably do have some wisdom for them. But I'm asking, listening, and empathizing. And I'm earning the right to guide them, not with my badge or my position, but with a relationship that I built. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. You know, one of I guess one of the big questions that would come out of all of this is as you know, people are trying to connect with other generations, you know, there, there's leaders that are, you know, in that Gen X range that are probably in senior leadership right now that are saying, I really, really need to be able to connect with these Gen Zers and, and these Gen Xers. And I, I'm having a lot of trouble. What are some of the things you believe that they can be doing to, to do this with, not without stereotyping them into yeah, a, yeah. A, some type of box all the time? Well, the ultimate exercise that I have done that has been so good for me is a term called reverse mentoring, reverse mentoring. It can be informal, but it needs to be intentional. So you look at the older or senior team members, maybe they're Gen Xers, you know, at the at the office, 
and you say, I want you to purposely choose a younger team member. So the oldest with the youngest. And you get together, maybe over lunch, maybe over a latte. But you first swap stories. Uh, and I have come to believe you always find something in common when you mm-hmm. swap stories. But then you each mentor each other just in your superpowers. So the older pours into the young. Here's how to succeed at this workplace. I got a few things I've learned. But then you switch hats. And now the younger might be mentoring the older in how we could use that latest app that just came out to market our company better or whatever. But I found there's superpowers in the young and the old that are very different. Uh, And so reverse mentoring, uh, I do this with Andrew and Cam and others. um, And I'm telling you, I'm learning all the time. So that would be one. The other thing is uh, I call it ditch the niche exercise. (laughs) So we all get in our little niches. And I think we need to ditch the niche and stop hanging out with people like us who think like us, vote like us, you know, talk like us, maybe other people in the same life station. And we need to purposely find those people that are different, not even for mentoring, but just for curiosity. Um, I uh, dug up some data that I didn't put into the first printing of this book. So I'm not sure, uh, Travis or Cameron, which one you got of the new kind of diversity, but uh, I ask all five generations that are working today what do you want from other generations when you interact with them what do you want from them Mm. and i got a ton of responses but do you know something three responses came up in all five number one was humility all five generations said would you approach me with humility which basically communicates i know i don't know know everything and i could probably learn something here number two was respect so that never goes never grows old Everybody said, I wish you would approach me with belief in me, not suspicion in me, you know, like, like, like Tony, they approached him with suspicion. You're probably stealing the paint, aren't you? Mm-hmm. You know, no, no, he wasn't. He proved all their suspicions were wrong, but he had to move. So respect, but listen to the third one. This is really cool. Curiosity. Every generation said, would you approach me curious as to what I might bring to the table when I come here today? Can you imagine a workplace where there's humility, respect, and curiosity, it would be crazy cool. Um, I can only imagine what we could pull off if we leverage the five generations rather than stereotype the five generations that are at work today. Yeah, that's great. So as we kind of begin to wrap up, because that's a good that's a good point to land on right there. We want to encourage people to go out and and get the book. It's a book that I've read. It's a book that not only will I read, but we'll be using as a reference guide moving forward um tim where can people find out more about you get onto your your email list i mean there's you you produce a lot of great great stuff how do you how do you get that sure well for the book it's really simple um there's a simple site called newdiversitybook.com newdiversitybook.com and what's fun is there's a free assessment that you can take so you answer 41 questions you find out well i'm really good with xers but not so good with gen z Uh, you'll get a report and then, of course, you can get the book there too, newdiversitybook.com. But um, the nonprofit organization that has the habitudes you and I were talking about earlier um, mm-hmm. is growingleaders.com. And then you can get my articles every uh, every month with, at timelmore.com, timelmore.com. So thanks for asking. Um, I appreciate it. It's been fun to hang out with you guys. Awesome. So before we wrap up, we like to do a little lightning round of a couple of questions okay. just sure. for fun. And the first one I really wanted to ask you is what inspired you? to take the path that you're on as far as focusing on 
that youth, that youthful age for all these years. And really yeah. you've devoted your life to the studying this. Yeah, I have. Well, I started as a teacher and a youth worker way back a long time ago, actually, believe it or not, 1979. So wow. this, this is when the boomers were coming through the school system. But um, I fell in love with the next generation, even though I was a part of the next generation. Early in my career, I thought this is where I want to get my life because they're so moldable, you know, when they're young. But I went on staff with John Maxwell in 1983, 40 years ago, and I fell in love with leadership. So my love of leadership and my love of young people kind of married together under John. And so in 2003, I started Growing Leaders, which is all about what John Maxwell's doing for corporate America. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do for the next generation before they made all the mistakes. So that's how I fell in love with it. But this generational thing snuck up on me. The more I was working with organizations, the more I was hearing what we talked about today. Older people are going, kids are so, uh, can't stand it. We're going to have to wait for the next batch to come through. You know, I actually had a person say that. Forget the millennials. I'm waiting for Gen Z. You know, I'm going, no, you can't do that. So I thought I've got to help leaders figure each other out because we are not going to do well if we just have a standoff at work Monday through Friday and we're divided. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I hope that answers the question, but it wasn't lightning, but that was a long answer to why I got it. Oh, no, that's awesome. The last three are a couple are, are lightning. Yeah. Uh, what are you reading right now? Well, my favorite book this year was a book called From Strength to Strength. Uh, it's by Arthur Brooks, and he shared that research I mentioned earlier about fluid intelligence, crystallized intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a fabulous book on living the second curve of your life well, the second uh, half. That was fabulous. I also love the book, The Coddling of the American Mind. It's co-authored mm -hmm. by Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff. It's talking about how we're canceling each other instead of saying, wait a minute, I don't like what you're saying, but I probably could learn from it. So as much as I don't like my teacher in front of me today, this bad experience, I want to learn from it. So that's a great, great book as well. Yeah. All right. Excellent. And then uh, th the last, third one is um, Dead or Alive, who would you like to have lunch with? Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm a man of faith, so it would be cool to sit down with Jesus and say, what did you mean when you said that? Because <laughs> there's several things I didn't like. I didn't like that he said, but, um, but I, you know what, from a, from a, a, a regular standpoint, I'm really intrigued with Abraham Lincoln. He was mm. a man who was very depressed. He was struck with mental issues and his wife was, she went crazy on him, but he seemed to be able to stay steady and stay uh, emotionally intelligent in very, very divisive situations. Call it a civil war that was terribly uncivil. Uh, and I just would love to sit down and say, what was your secret to making it through those hard times? Yeah. And finally, what is a bucket list item that is left for Tim? Mm. Oh, my gosh. Well, my goal is to train 1% of the youth population of the world to think and act like leaders, life-giving leaders. So 1% would be 40 million young people under 25 years old. Uh, because I, I've learned when I was getting my doctoral degree that if you can convince or persuade 1% of a population to buy into an idea, you can begin to sway the 99%. Wow. So Dr. Martin Luther King only had 1% of America on board with civil rights. And while we still have more room to grow, he made some big changes in the 60s because he got enough people, 1%. So that's my bucket list. So I want to train them 40 million young leaders to, to lead and I want to leave the world a better place because I didn't do it 
but I trained them to do it. You're on your way. Well, uh, Dr. Tim Elmore, thank you so much for joining us today on another edition of the podcast and uh, hope you get connected and have you again in the future. Awesome. Good to be with you guys too. Thanks. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Executive Leadership Podcast. I hope that this interview with Dr. Tim Elmore added value to your leadership where you are at. Um, If you're looking for a copy of the book, A New Kind of Diversity, Making the Different Generations on Your Team a Competitive Advantage, um, that link to get the copy of that book is in the podcast description. And also, we left a link to connect with Dr. Tim Elmore, and you can find out more about the work that he does as well. Well, thank you so much again for your support and tuning in. Uh, Feel free to uh, give a review and rating on whichever platform that you're listening on, and also subscribe to our podcast so that you are able to receive a notification when the next podcast goes live. And also, feel free to check out our website, TC Advisory Group com to check out some more details about some services and offerings that we provide in a leadership development and training. And you could find that link also in the podcast description. Thank you again. And we will catch you on the next episode.